All right, Pottercast with Scotty Sanchez in three, two, one. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. Thanks for joining us on the Pottercast. I'm joined by my good buddy, Scotty Sanchez. And uh, Scotty, thanks for being on the Pottercast. Oh, it's a blast. Thanks for having me, Ferris. Now, so this, so you notice I, I did a, a po- podcast with Dan Mutton a couple weeks ago. And if you listen to all the podcasts, only Dan calls me Ferris. Dan's convinced that everybody I know <laughs> from college calls me Ferris, but he's the only one. But if if I meet someone through Dan, they call me Ferris. That's why Scotty calls me Ferris, because you only knew me as Ferris, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, when we uh, would uh, get to get together on the docks and jocks, and uh, yeah, no, that's exactly. Dan would tell me, you know, you know, he looks just like uh, he looks just like <laughs> Ferris, and uh, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, who else? Who else would you want to be compared to or have a name after? That's I mean. He's the quintessential yeah, I know, American I know. guy. Love the That's guy. right. Do- Dr. Dan is the best because like on that pe- podcast, he's like, I-, I-, I nicknamed him Ferris. So all his college friends call him Ferris. And I never have to tell him. No, they don't. Just you, <laughs> your family, Hawk and Scotty. Those guys. And I think your kids call me Ferris, too. Like, they do. Like, they do. Like, like I haven't met him a bunch, but they, I think I think Caitlin, uh, Hawk's wife, I've only met her like once over video, calls me Ferris. I don't I don't think I've actually ever met Hawk in person. Is that crazy? Have you not? Uh-uh. Because he moved from Abilene. He moved from Abilene to, to Knoxville. That's right. And um, we we only communicated text, phone calls, and um, on docs and jocks. And I, I didn't meet Utah last year, like in person. In person, that's correct. That's right. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? No, man, it's been, uh, gosh, it's been uh, several years. Yeah. You know, yeah. already of uh, a great relationship. And, uh, oh, man, Hawk's awesome. So and at some point, you know, the four of us got to get together. I so know it's be, a good. You can be Ferris comfortably. There you go. I, that's right. That's right. Well, it's funny because when he started calling me that, my kids were like, "Why does he call you Ferris?" So he had to go through the whole story and everything. But <laughs> so I wanted to have Scotty on because, like I said, we met through Docs and Jocks, Doctor Dan, and I wanted to just kind of hear his story. But Scotty's basically been involved in coaching and mentoring young athletes and young students for I don't know thirty plus years, twenty five plus years. I mean, you've been at it a long time, right? And I just kind of want to get your opinion on things now and how you got into it and how things, how things are rolling, but tell folks what you're doing like right now, Scott. Well, I'm, I'm blessed. Uh, you know, I have, I've retired actually in the state of Texas. Uh, you know, I, I taught and coached in Texas for uh, 30 plus years and uh, it, it afforded me an opportunity to uh, now uh, enjoy that retirement, but uh, continue to do what I'm doing. So I'm coaching uh, and teaching in uh, New Mexico. So uh, my brother, uh, it's you know give me the opportunity to coach and uh, teach with my brother. So uh, we both uh, commute from El Paso, Texas, to Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is about an hour and fifteen minutes uh, daily, uh, and it, you know it gives us an opportunity to uh, you know really enjoy it. Yeah, uh, you know, kind of take a step back, and uh, you know at this point in my career, an opportunity just to mentor uh, young coaches. So it, it's been a lot of fun, and then you know the chance to coach with my brother, who's done it uh, you know for thirty eight years. Um, yeah, that's been a blast. And, you know, the, uh, he complains about the commute, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, I love the drive, you know, that, that hour that I get to, you know, that those two hours going and coming back that I get to spend with my brother and, uh, it has been, uh, for me, it's been a thrill. 
So you retired at Texas, but you were there 30 plus years. Um, were you always in that Abilene area for all those years in uh, Texas? Uh, uh, yes. The bulk of my career, I was at Abilene High mm -hmm. School. Uh, I started off, off in the middle school. I was there at the middle school for a couple of years before I got the call up and, uh, you know, spent the next uh, 30 at Abilene High uh, as a coach and uh, head baseball coach, assistant football coach. And then I finished up my career there uh, doing a little bit of uh, administration. Yeah, the uh, so head baseball and assistant football. I mean, you were a busy dude because there's really no no off season. We, I mean, you're 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 going from one into the other. No, there's no question about it. And uh, you know, uh, kudos to my wife. Uh, you know, she was a uh, a sports uh, coach widow. You know, for uh, you know for a long time. Uh, you know, I got to Abilene in 1992, and for us. Um, you know, because I was uh, involved in baseball as well. You know, the football season runs 365. Uh, there's no <laughs> yeah. question about that. And then uh, so it, it would kind of time out. And we were blessed that we had uh, uh, a long run of playoff runs, which would take us into December. Uh, you'd you know, kind of get the Christmas holiday and then we gets back in January. You know, we're running baseball uh, through through May and then, you know, get right into spring training and start all over uh, during the summer. Um but, uh, you know, you, you, you think about it, you know, that's a lot of hours spent, but I mean, the, the quality and the blessing that I had, uh, to know, be under the head coaches that I had that, uh, were despite all those hours, they were family first. So, you know, a lot of kids, um, running around the field house, uh, you know, they've got 18 dads looking out after them as opposed mm -hmm. to just one. And, and, you know, the wives were comfortable coming around and we had such a camaraderie that, uh, you know, that was the reason that I, you know, stayed in that one place for so long. Um, just, it, it was a blessing, you know, if I had to go back and start at age uh, 20 and uh, had an opportunity to say, you know, you want to go back to Abilene and do it exactly like you did, uh, it'd be a hundred percent, no question about it. Yeah. I always interested. I, I know, you know, you got to have athletes, right? If you're going to win football games or baseball games or basketball, whatever the sport, you, you need to recruit athletes. You need to train them well. So you have to have all those systems in place, but how important is just the, the culture and the feel? of the program in, in, in being successful, but also, you know, being a place where people want to want to be a part of and want to stay or, or go to. Uh, no doubt about it. And I think, uh, you know, I, when I first got there, we had, uh, Abilene had kind of been in the doldrums for a long, long time. Although it was a program that had a lot of history, the history was 50 years old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a team that had won the state championships in the twenties and then again in the fifties. Um, and then they had uh, opened a new school, uh, Abilene Cooper. Um, and from that time, you know, Abilene had kind of struggled. So we had a principal that kind of had that vision uh, and understood that, you know, the more kids we had involved in extracurriculars and the more success you had in your extracurriculars, a little easier it is to run the the school. So when I first got there, you know, we we, we didn't win a, a single ball game uh, mm. the first couple of years I was there, um, but we put together a, a plan. So as a matter of fact, the guy that uh, Gary Gaines became our head coach, and you'll, you'll remember Gary Gaines from uh, yeah. Friday Night Lights, Odessa Permian. And under Gary, you know, we started to get the structure uh, in place. So we started to see some things you know, in terms of offseason and then schematically that were giving us a little bit better opportunity to be competitive. And then Gary got an opportunity to go to a different school. And uh, uh, one of our uh, assistants, Steve Warren, took over. And under Steve, uh, you know, we really added that relationship component. And we really made an effort to get our kids out and to, uh, um, you know, have them be a part of what we felt was going to be something special. And, uh, 
you know, for the next 20 plus years, uh, we were blessed. You know, we were a playoff team and culminating in the uh, state championship in Texas 6A in 2009. So uh, uh, very lucky to be, you know, where I was. When you started in coaching, did you know uh, right from the get-go how important that infrastructure is and how that's the first building block? Because, I mean, as players, we all played, right? But you just show up when coach tells you to, you do what they tell you, and then you go home and you don't think about it. Did you know how important that was, or was that something you learned in the in those early years of coaching? You know, a little bit of both. I was lucky enough to have gone to a high school in New Mexico that had a great tradition. As a matter of fact, we'd won the state championship uh, uh, through my, I have two older brothers, one that's four years older, one five years older. Each of them were able to win the state championship uh, in football at Clovis, New Mexico, and they won in, uh, mm. I believe it was 77, 78. Um, got beaten 79 by Jim Everett in uh, Albuquerque, El Dorado on an inverted whistle. But then would win it in 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. You um, still remember how they lost it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, our, our quarterback, our quarterback, Joe Newton. And I was, you know, I was younger at the time, but, uh, you know, they ran the uh, they ran the option and Joe, you know, uh, faked it to our fullback, pulled it. Well, the uh, official side, he had given it to the fullback. He pulled it. He's no. standing in the end zone and they blew the whistle. And uh, uh, so if you ever see Jim. Everett, uh, tell him that uh, <laughs> that state championship belongs in, in Clovis, New Mexico. But that lucky son of a Older brother Mark, you know, he got to play against Jim Everett. Then he got That's to uh, the next year. Uh, they played against uh, Hobbs, New Mexico, which is notorious for their basketball. But Hobbs at that yeah. time had uh, a guy named Reuben Berry who would go on to run uh, uh, at Arizona State. Uh, incredible. Uh, as a matter of fact, they had set the national record of the four by 100. Mm. And then a guy named Timmy Smith that would go on and play for the Redskins and uh, oh, set yeah. the Super Bowl record for the uh, most yards rushing in a football game. So it was a, it's a pretty good football. But, you know, we understood um, through the coaches uh, that we had there that, uh, you know, there was an infrastructure that needed to be in place. And it takes everybody, you know, you know, my, it takes uh, it takes administration. It takes community. It takes uh you know, there's a lot of moving parts that you have to have in place in order to be uh, competitive and sustain it. Yeah, it's interesting. That doesn't I mean, that that's the same through all levels, right? At, at different different points. But you talk about coaches, administrators, players, community, you know, when you get to the pro or level or whatever college, it's it's coaches, administrators then it's owners, then it's, you know, fans, then it's I mean. Everybody building that community together is is super important. Is that the job of the head coach to kind of set that pace and set that tone is it more the administrators who kind of comes up with that and who makes sure everybody's on board with that you know there, there's got to be a camaraderie there uh you know you've got to have an ad administration that uh, is going to allow the head coach to do what he needs to do in order to establish that type of uh that type of structure and, and to uh you know get and then it's up to the head coach to uh, do what he he's got to do in order to make sure that he's got the correct staff in place uh, and he sets the structure and expectation uh you know for his for his uh, his players, um, and by and large, you know, and that's that's one thing that uh, uh, Steve Warren at Abilene High School was able to completely take advantage of. He was, uh, you know, he's a master motivator, um, and uh, you know, he was very um, deliberate in the coaches that he brought and he put in place, and uh, um, you know, and, and and he allowed us to. Uh, coach you know he allowed us to do our job but then the relationships we were able to build um you know with those young athletes you know from the time and for us you know it was started at the middle school and and then in, in 
you know, it, it occurred through the high school. Uh, so, you know, so our middle school coaches were involved, our middle school administrations were involved, everybody was on the same page doing the same thing. So it uh, it was, you know, it was a, quite a camaraderie there. And through that camaraderie, I think, uh, you know, we were able to enjoy the the success that we did. And, you know, what was so cool about it was, the, you know, the diversity that we had in Abilene. You know, we had people mm. from uh, several different uh, walks of life from, you know, from uh, higher income to low income and to, to see them come together to uh, achieve this uh, goal and to look out in the stands on Friday nights and to see the number of people that were interested in what was going on was uh, certainly something special. Yeah, that's the great thing about sports. If, 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 if they don't get ruined by political correctness, it's a, it's a playing field that meritocracy wins. So it really doesn't matter once you get on that field, how, if you drove in a Lincoln or a, or a Cadillac or a Tesla, or if you drove in a beat up pickup truck, once you get on the field and strap it on, it's whoever's the best player, whoever's the best is going to, is, is going to be the champ. And our kids really bought into that, you know, and to see our kids, you know, it got to the point in our program that, uh, as coaches, you know, we just kind of set the tone, but our kids really were holding each other accountable. You know, and it was unique in that our, you know, our kids still believed in obligation and responsibility. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, talk of uh, privilege and, mm. you know, what's, uh, you know, what's kind of, uh, we're seeing kind of change uh, throughout society at this point. You know, our kids still believed in uh, in obligation and responsibility. And, and if you were going to be a part of that club, you were going to show up uh, daily. You were going to be there. And if you didn't, um, you know, one of your compadres, one of your co uh, co players, was going to uh, be on the phone with you, and then if you needed a ride, they're going to go get you. Mm. But uh, you know, it was through that, uh, through that understanding that uh, you know it allowed us to uh, to go play in some big games. And you know, and then our kids understood. You know, even after we won the whole thing, um, that you know we didn't get to the mountaintop so that everybody could look at us. Uh, you know, we got to the mountaintop so you could see what it's like, you know, to, so that you can, you know, see what it's like, the, the culmination of all the hard work. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't change that uh, you know, for a minute. How has it changed over the 30 plus years? I know, you know, there's so many more voices and you can find them so easily talking about, for lack of a better term, political correctness, but it feeds into sports and how you coach and who you play and who you don't play and how you recruit kids and all that stuff. I mean, has it changed immensely? Or has it changed a little bit or is it just say, oh, all right, we got to deal with that. But at the end of the day, the game's the game. Uh, wow. You know, that's a great question. Um, ultimately, kids are still kids. Uh, you know, um, and we, you know, we kind of had a belief system in Abilene was that either you're coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, there, there's a sensitivity now, certainly, that uh, kind of impedes. Um, your ability to get messages across. It's harder to uh, to teach how to deal with uh, adversity, which is certainly going to occur um, throughout, uh, you know, the preparation. Uh, you know, I think preparation uh, has become a little bit more difficult. You know, we, we've seen, you know, these travel clubs, you know, these, these guys don't practice. They go play on the weekend, um, you know, but hardly is anybody's working to really improve their their craft um, and if they're doing it they're doing it individually they're not doing it to, as a team and building that that camaraderie that is necessary for uh you know cooperation and and uh you know being able to understand that i've you know i've been through this preparation i've been through the grind with these guys um you know we're gonna do everything we can to make sure that not just i'm successful but to you know to see the the joy of of watching my my uh my teammates be successful 
as well. So uh, also, you know, it, there's there's more committee involvement. There's more mm. micromanagement in terms of uh, what the head coach can or can't do. And then, of course, with social media, you know, everything he he says or or uh, does is going to be scrutinized. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we've lost that point uh, where, you know, you give somebody a little bit of grace for just being human, hmm. uh, you know, right. and, and sports right. with sports being so emotional um, at times, you know, there's going to be times that you say things or do things uh, in the heat of battle, even away from the heat of battle, that uh, is going to be heavy scrutinized. And unfortunately, by somebody who's never uh, been in that position, uh, and then they go screaming to administration or you've got parents that have an uh, ulterior motive, uh, go straight screaming at administration and our, you know, administration uh, um, sometimes uh, will have a knee jerk reaction in order to try to please uh, constituents. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot uh, more difficult to navigate. You know, I was blessed to be able to head coach as long as I wanted to be, hmm. uh, you know, I was able to step away from the game and that responsibility when I wanted to. So, you know, very blessed at that time, but uh, kind of saw some of this uh, coming, uh, you know, where you've got to make that uh, decision as a coach, uh, you know, how much of the uh, background noise uh, that I call it, uh, do you really want to deal with? Yeah. I think it's interesting, um, you know, now because there's more cameras everywhere and everything, blessing and a curse, right? I mean, the blessing is we can see a guy like Peyton Manning, who Jeff Saturday is one of his great friends of all time. We can see a clip of him lighting up Saturday on the bench, you know, in between plays saying, hey, you run the plays. I call the plays. Don't question the, and he's cussing them out, the freaking play. Well, then they're hugging the next, I mean, it's that, that kind of stuff. You talk about emotional game, that kind of stuff happens during the game. And then it's just, it's, it's not a big deal. Nowadays, a lot of that stuff, especially at the high school level and college level, gets blown out of proportion. And I mean, you know, sometimes people go over the line and need to be called accountable for it. But I think it's interesting that, especially a lot of people that make the rules never were in those locker rooms or played those games and realized that my coach can scream and yell at me as much as he wants. And then I take it as he's trying to get the best out of me. He wants me to win, you know, and I don't like it, but then I have to react to it and decide, okay, is that going to make me better? Or am I going to go in a shell and cower and whatever? And he's hoping it makes me better. You know, it was those coaches. The uh, Our high school basketball coach was a Bobby Knight disciple and had played for him in the Pan Am <laughs> games. And he brought that, uh, you know, that style of coaching with him. Our football coaches, I mean, they pulled absolutely no punches. Mm. Um, but, you know, my, my teammates and I understood where that was coming from. Um, you know, it was all a, uh, a tactic you know, if you will, to uh, help us reach yeah. our, our maximum, um, you know, the, the possibility of us being the best uh, that we could possibly be as individuals uh, on and off the field. And uh, there was an appreciation for it. You know, the reason that I got into the game, you know, I love those guys, you know, as mm -hmm. hard as they were on us. Uh, uh, and then becoming a head coach, you know, you kind of uh, um, you kind of lean towards those things that made you successful, but then you got to have an understanding that not everybody's built like you and you've got mm -hmm. to, you know, differentiate how you're going to try to motivate uh, different individuals. So for some, you know, it, uh, it it's, uh, I think you've got to be able to be eclectic in how you approach everybody on your ball club and understand, you know, what, what's the, uh, and as a head coach, you know, that I think that's so much of, of what you do, you know, you hire a, your assistants to, uh, to actually, you know, do the meat and potatoes of what you're trying to get across fundamentally. Um, then as head coach, you know, you've got to handle that structure and that, uh, that uh, cohesion in order to, you know, build that success and, and then sustain it. 
Yeah, I like what you said. We're talking, I mean, it's kind of wrapping around culture of the success you guys had at Abilene, but uh, at, at all places success, you know, that structure's got to be there, that infrastructure, that community, everybody's got to be bought into that culture and that structure. And then I love what you said. You said we had a saying that we, if it's happening, we're either coaching it or we're allowing it to happen. And to me, that's just accountability and responsibility. Like you're not blaming the kid for it. You're saying, oh, if he's acting that way or she's acting that way, I must have either taught them to do that or I haven't stopped them from doing that. So I have to do one or the other. You know, it does. It helps you, you know, it holds you accountable as a coach uh, because, you know, it's really easy to, to say, you know, we just don't have the athletes, uh, you know, so-and-so yep. is doing it. Well, why did they do that? You know, so really at the end of the day, and, and again, it forces you to be reflective of, of how you're doing things, you know, like I talked about just now, being a head coach and understanding, you know, what makes somebody tick and what, you know, really uh, turns them the other way. You know, that that's our responsibility, um, you know, to try to find, uh, you know, what it is within each individual that's going to allow them to perform, you know, within the team structure. And and you just said it, you know, nothing more important than responsibility and accountability. And, uh, you know, that's uh, something that's become a little bit more difficult, Um I've seen to be able to yeah. uh, because there's so many uh, outside forces now uh, pulling against that accountability. And it's so interesting because, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, I think a lot of kids growing up that maybe don't have that accountability and responsibility in other aspects of their life. Many of them, not all, but many of them, once they realize it, they might not like it initially, but then they kind of realize, oh, this is actually really this person cares about me and loves me. And, and this is I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like if there was more accountability and more responsibility and less just blaming other people, I think, I think a lot of people actually would enjoy that better, even though initially it might be a little, a little painful to deal with because they've never experienced it before. No, oh, sure. And I, you know, I started, you know, for my first, uh, my first coach uh, in, in little league football was a, uh, and he would grab your face mask. He would uh, hammer you. I was the quarterback of our little league football team, the Bombers. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but I loved that guy. And then, and then yeah. I turn around, you know, I'm eight years old and I'm going to go play basketball. And it was actually my best friend, Andre Pollard. Mr. Pollard was our basketball coach. And uh, my older brother, Mark, helped him. And I remember that first day of basketball practice coming home and thinking, oh, my God, I may never want to play basketball again. <laughs> uh, uh, but. Uh, you know, as I as I matured and went through it, and then of course my little league coach was my father, and uh, you want to talk about accountability? <laughs> oh man, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and now uh, couldn't be more grateful. But uh, there, I don't know if you remember, there used to be a uh, a uh, competition called punt, pass, and kick. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, for most kids, punt, pass, and kick. You go out on that Saturday that they had it in August. You go punt, pass, yeah. and kick, and if you happen to one does it the farthest without it getting marked off. You advance to the next level. So for most kids, that was a Saturday afternoon. But for the Sanchez brothers, practice started in June. <laughs> and, uh, you know, went through that competition. And uh, my oldest brother didn't quite have the size that uh, my other brother Mark had and, and I had. So uh, uh, he got third place in all the local, where my brother Mark won every year locally, won one state, and, uh, you know, ended up got the free trip to Phoenix um, about wow. once a year because he would advance. We actually had a guy from Clovis named Jimmy McCullough that uh, went all the way to the Super Bowl. Um, wow. And I was able to get to Phoenix a couple of times. And, uh, you know, now that you look back, you know, you know, that practice paid off. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, those are hours that you got to spend with your dad, even though it was in a critical moment that, uh, that uh, you know, if you go back, certainly would have an opportunity. If I could go this afternoon and have a little pump passing 
kick practice with dad, you know, that would certainly be a, certainly be a blast. So did you guys play everything growing up? The Sanchez boys? We did. We did. Uh, so actually in, in high school, my brother, Mark, uh, uh, kind of excelled at football. Uh, mm-hmm. My brother, Neil, uh, uh, was a baseball player. And then I played both basketball and baseball. Was it just you three boys? Three boys. Then I've got a little sister who uh, took the dance route. So she's gotcha. five years younger than me. But uh, my oldest brother is five years older. Mark, and my other older brother, is four years older. And then my uh, little sister's five years younger. But uh, no, after those two went through, I never had a tryout for a team in my life. You know, it was, <laughs> oh, you're Neil and Mark's little brother? You. Yeah, but you've got a spot. So uh, nice. But then you, you know, had to live it, up to Neil and Mark there, right? Uh, you know, there, there, man, there's pros and cons, but so many more pros. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 you know, unfortunately, and, and, and also a blessing, you know, when you're the little brother, um, it kind of comes a little bit easier to you because you got to put up with those two, um, you know, on a daily basis, you know. Right. So uh, my brother, Mark, who was quite a bit bigger than most of us, would uh, we had newspaper routes, but he uh, the top newspaper was just a blank paper. Well, he what he would do is he would take that paper and he would draw and cut out wrestling belts. And on any given day, you know, he would go whoop my brother Neil or whoop me and then hold his belt up and then he would have them stacked in his room. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then and then he would have, you know, like the NCAA has their rankings, he would have our rankings uh, posted on the uh, refrigerator, you know, in terms of. Uh, uh, kid achievements or mom and dad's favorite. That's awesome. So, uh, so, so uh, interesting. So you would say, in. yeah, you would say you grew up in a somewhat competitive household. Then, you know, I yes, I was. <laughs> you know, I was kind of insulated from it, um, in the sense that there was a four-year difference between uh, Mark and myself, but uh, certainly uh, between the two older brothers, uh, you know, extremely competitive, um, and then for me it was more of just an expectation of this is what you're going to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, you know, and that was academically as well. You know, there was an expectation that uh, this is what uh, is going to get achieved. And we never really thought anything about it. You know, for example, you know, my dad's uh, uh, discipline was, uh, you know, you know, in the high school, you might, you might stay out late, but you're going to, you're going to be up at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, so you're going to determine what time you're going to come home. You realize really quick that, you know what, I'm not going to stay out just super late because I know at seven, there's going to be something yeah. for me to do. So, uh, you know, lessons that were built in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're finally getting to the point. We're all in our fifties that, uh, you know, I think we're just enjoying the relationships now. And it's kind of, you know, that, that 10 year reunion, everybody's kind of, uh, you know, there's a little, probably a little bit of arrogance there. And then at that 20 year reunion, you're just kind of happy to see everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of the same thing in the, in the family. Yeah. 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 So did you, uh, I mean, did you have a favorite sport or did you just like playing them all when you were growing up? You know, the favorite was the one that was going on at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up at that time, you know, and I think part of it was, you know, I was a huge Joe Namath fan when I was a little boy, mm. uh, but also loved the Redskins, uh, uh, my father was, my grandfather was a cowboy fan. So I think I just, <laughs> you know, I think I like the Redskins just to be the antagonist. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, and, and then in basketball, of course, you had the Lakers Celtics during that time. Who, you know, who didn't love watching Magic and Larry go at it? And then, yeah. of course, baseball. My grandfather had played baseball um, in the, uh, oh, it would probably have been the uh, 40s um, for the Amarillo Gold Sox. And uh, that love, 
uh, you know, transcended uh, each of the uh, generations and you know, through my father and uh, and my brother, oh, my, my brother, Neil was, uh, uh, I've never seen anybody work harder at, uh, and Neil's five, seven, you know, uh, at that time, 165 pounds, but, uh, you know, he went on and played for New Mexico State University, uh, but it was just through hard work and it was just daily. And, uh, you know, when dad wasn't available, we had a gentleman that lived down the street that had played in the Negro Leagues uh, named Joe Greer. Mm. And uh, oh, he, he, he would take uh, time from the afternoons to go hit uh, my brother ground balls and, uh, uh, you know, teach him the fundamentals on how you're supposed to field it, how you throw it. And uh, I know uh, that relationship between those two was pretty special. Yeah, that uh, you bring up a, a point. I want to circle back about college and everything, but man, that those the Negro League baseball for all those years. I mean, I got a chance to go to the Negro League baseball museum in Kansas City, and, and really interested in learning more about it. I mean, I was some of the best baseball going on in the world at the time was happening there, and some of those guys, it was really truly the love of the game because they were they were just playing for the love of it and for their fans, and they made money at it and things too. But it was just, there was some great baseball going on. Some of those stories are just fantastic. No, absolutely. And I mean, what an opportunity for you to be able to get to that Hall of Fame. But if you yeah. know, if you ever got an opportunity to read about, uh, you know, Buck O'Neill and, uh, you know, and, and Satchel, as a matter of fact, you know, my wife kidded my wife. Well, not not really kidding. I was, you know, I was pretty serious about, uh, you know, when we had our firstborn, um, I was pretty adamant. I wanted to name him Satchel. Uh, <laughs> didn't make but, it in uh, there. It didn't make it. You know, her her uh, her maiden name took precedence, so we ended up naming him Reed, which is my wife's uh, maiden name. There's no argument there. So, that was a good uh, call on your part to but, acquiesce yeah, but, to that. Uh, you know, and then you know, then the second one's a girl. So what can you do? That's right, Satch. That's a yeah. No, there's some. <laughs> There's some great stories about Satchel Page and that, and I know that I, I, that that to me, you know, I love movies and things, and there hasn't been a lot of great movies about some of those great, great stories, the barnstorming that went on. But if, if people are interested, I, I if you love baseball, look into that because it's it's somewhat of a forgotten era. I think Buck O'Neill has really brought it back to the forefront. Major League Baseball's done a decent job of bringing it back to the forefront, but but not a great job because. I mean, there were some great baseball players back then doing some amazing things, and they would barnstorm against some of the white teams, the pros. And Bob Feller was like, oh, the, the toughest guys I ever faced were in those barnstor barnstorming Negro League games. No, no doubt. And, you know, you know, I would like to see, uh, you know, the MLB uh, kind of take an initiative to, uh, you know, really go back and dive into the history of uh, of those teams because you're right. I mean, uh, pretty incredible, you know, the, uh, the Monarchs, uh, uh, you oh, know, yeah. everybody, I think everybody, you know, you know, you know, maybe start with some marketing, you know, get those jerseys back out there and, uh, uh, you know, maybe dedicate a week like they've done for uh, uh, Jackie Robinson. You know, yeah. I know that that, uh, you know, there I know there's uh, some uh, contemplation of doing the same thing for Clemente, who was our childhood hero mm. uh, growing up, um, you know, do the same thing for that for that league. You know, that uh, that would be pretty that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think th those stories of how those guys overcame you know, all, all the all the discrimination that was that was rampant back then, you know, and just be honest about it and explain, hey, this is what was really going on at that time. But this is what these guys did. And I mean, some of the nicknames, too, it almost seemed like a they they were they they had more fun with the game back then. It was less of a business, you know, cool Papa Bell. And, you know, oh, man, I mean, they, they, yeah, these nicknames and some of the stuff you read, some of these things they did. And you're like going, that doesn't seem like that's possible. Nobody in the major leagues was doing that back then, you know, stealing bases and how Satch would just 
call the outfield in and pitch without it. And like, it's just crazy stuff. But um, yeah, obviously baseball is my favorite sport. I love it. I love that history of it. But so your brother, Neil went to New Mexico state. Is that where you went to? Did you play ball there? I did. What, what was uh, your, was yeah, where did state. you go after high school? And then uh, New Mexico state. And then, uh, you know, I was going to uh, major in business. Um, thought that was the direction. Uh, but after a couple of years realized, you know, I, I'm not going to be sitting in an office anywhere that, uh, I belong on the field. So I actually got my degree in political science and uh, went back to Eastern New Mexico to get my teaching certificate. And on, nice. a, on a whim, went to a, a job fair, um, had no intention of going further east than Lubbock or Amarillo, if you you, know, you don't know the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a gentleman there from Abilene that uh, didn't have anybody scheduled. So I went in there and said, hey, would you mind uh, critiquing my interview skills? And, you know, before you know it, I said, you know what, I'll go to Abilene for a year, was offered a job. And, <laughs> uh, you know, you you meet the girl and you stay for 30 plus and, uh, you know, it, it, God knows exactly what he's doing. And, you know, he put me at the right place at the right time with the right people. And uh, and I, I can't believe it's, uh, you know, I've already retired from that aspect of it. You met your wife in Abilene? I did. I did. So uh, you, go, mom, you go to this interview. Mom, yeah, oh, go ahead, her mom. Oh no, go ahead. Her mom was. Uh, her mom was actually the uh, copy lady at the uh, middle school that I started at, and uh, she tried to set me up with her older daughter. Um, and actually, it was asked me uh, on a whim. Um, you know, where do you go to church? And uh, you know, growing up Catholics, and I'm actually looking for one. And she said, "Well, we're Catholic. Why don't you come with uh, me and my family?" Um, so I did. I went and I met my wife Myra, and uh, she was uh, younger at the time, so. Um, you know, I had to wait till she was uh, of proper age, and uh, you know, we hit it <laughs> off. We, had, you know, we figured if we you know we have that much fun at church, and imagine what life might be like outside yeah. of the uh, outside of church. And uh, you know, we've been married now for twenty six years, and uh, unfortunately, we lost her mom this past year. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know, she she put us together, and and no complaints. Wow! So you were in Abilene for how many years? Uh, I was in Abilene for exactly uh, thirty one. 31. Wow. Wow. Is that, I mean, in college, that's odd to be at a place that long. Um, unfortunately, baseball may be a little more common than basketball and football, but um, and some of the Olympic sports, it's more common. In high school, is that common for, for coaches to stick around at a high school for 30 years? Uh, you know, so I was an assistant uh, for 10, and then uh, I was the head coach for 15. Um, yeah. You know, there were some some coaches in the air football. Co- you know, there's a football coach there, as a matter of fact, just north in Albany that uh, has been the head coach there for 35 years. But uh, wow. no, that's uh, uh, my tenure uh, was the second longest in school history. Um, mm. There was a gentleman there named Blackie Blackburn, who the field was named after, who uh, I certainly tried to go back and bring some of his traditions back and, uh, you know, go meet with players that actually played for him because he had a great deal of success. Um you know, I was blessed. Uh, I had the same assistant for all those years, and we had been assistants together before I took over the head job. As a matter of fact, um, the guy who brought me over, uh, Jim Reese, um, left. Uh, when he was the head coach, I was uh, coaching outfield, and he got an opportunity to become the offensive coordinator at Abilene Christian University. So he left the day before baseball season was mm. officially starting, which made uh, Darren Lackey, uh, the head coach and Darren is John's dad, John Lackey of, uh, you know, a little bit of world series fame. So uh, he did, he did okay for himself. He did okay for himself. So Darren, <laughs> Darren was there, uh, three years. Um, 
uh, I became the pitching coach. And then when Darren left, uh, I stepped into it um, and was there uh, for 15. And I had the same assistant for 15. And having that stability, especially having a right-hand man like the one that I had, um, I think allowed me to, you know, stay there through the, uh, you know, the ups and downs that the job brings. Yeah. And uh, so when I decided that it was time for me to be a father and kind of step away because of the time that you and I talked about, um, you know, I told him, you know, it's your turn. And uh, he said, I don't know if I want it. And I said, well, mm -hmm. I got to know, because if uh, if you don't take it, I'm not leaving because I'm not just going to turn it over to anybody. And he took it and uh, man, had a good five years. And then my, the guy that was my pitching coach did it for a couple of years. And now for the first time in a long, long time, uh, there's a guy that's not from that coaching tree that's going to mm. be taking over this year. But, uh, you know, I was blessed, uh, even though I'm in El Paso, he reached out uh, to kind of have uh, to kind of gain an understanding of what it was like to to have the the sustained success that we were blessed to have. So, you know, it's, it's a family, uh, you yeah. know, I believe, even though you, it's a family. So you said the coach before you that was there, I mean, not before you, but the coach who had so much success, Blackie Blackburn, was that the name? Blackie Blackburn was the guy in the 50s, uh, was there through okay. the 70s that, uh, uh, you know, the field's named after him and appropriately so. You know, there what, was something special about playing at Blackburn Field. What did you learn from, was he still alive when you took over or was it just more learning stories and talking to players? What did you learn sure. about that? So uh, the relationship I developed with uh, Jim Reese, who had played for Blackie, uh, was the guy that had brought me on. Um, you know, a lot of the lessons in coaching and in coaching baseball especially came from uh, Jim. You know, Jim was very adamant about, you know, the game is still pitching, hitting a defense, you know. So you want you, know, you might have all these elaborate drills and everything else, but let's let's uh, make sure we're really good at those three things. Um, and then establishing the culture. You know, Jim was uh, – uh, and if you saw him, you'd think calm, cool, collected, but then you go on that first uh, road trip with him as an assistant coach and the guy doesn't sleep. He said, well, where's the calm, cool, collected guy? You know, well, I mean, all that stuff's turning internally. Uh, but then, you know, he presents this uh, calm, cool, collected uh, uh, presence on the field. So, you know, Jim and I had played for Blackie. And then, you know, like I said, Jim, as a matter of fact, Jim would come back after he was done coaching in college and become my pitching coach, which was what oh, wow. a blessing for me, you know, to get that yeah. kind of wisdom to come back as a young head coach. Uh, Again, you know, along with uh, Ryan Lewis and the other assistants I had, you know, created a stability for me that uh, allowed me to do that as long as I wanted to. But uh, no, the first thing I did as a head coach was uh, as I went and visited uh, Blackie, who at the time was in a uh, in a uh, oh uh, retirement home. Private uh, so, I took, yeah. so I took a couple of players that I knew were going to be varsity players with me, and uh, we went and visited Blackie, and he was uh, he was wearing a fishing hat at the time. Well, we took him an Abilene high hat, and, uh, you know, we asked him if we could talk to Coach Blackburn. Well, they didn't realize he had coached. So anyway, we got to meet Coach, and, uh, you know, the first thing he said to me, he said, well, there's a familiar face. Well, I didn't even know if uh, Blackie knew who I was. <laughs> um, you know, I'd met him before, but yeah. – uh, you know, he uh, there's a familiar face and then asked me a little bit about the team. And, uh, you know, I told him we're getting back to some of the traditions that he had. Um, so, for example, there was a uh, uh, outside storage area that had a green door. And if uh, somebody made a physical mistake, he would have them run to the green door, reflect on it and come back. So I told the coach, we're bringing back the green door. We're bringing back some mm -hmm. of these things that she did back. And, uh, 
you know, was able to get a bunch of his players that had played for him. So I was blessed that when I took over, it was the 50th, 50th anniversary of their last state championship. Mm. So we had a 50th reunion with all those guys and let them hang out with my current players. And it turned into be a wonderful weekend and kind of set the tone for, for my career as a head coach. And uh, as we were leaving, you know, that old fishing cap left Blackie's head and, uh, you know, that Abilene high hat went to his mm-hmm. head and to see the amount of pride that, uh, uh, it went on his head with, I mean, it still evokes a little emotion. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, Hey, Scotty, I think, uh, we're, we're coming up on the end of this, this talk, but I think you need to write a book, dude. Have you ever written a book? A, 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 a <laughs> like I've got, look, I've already got your chapters of culture here, uh, structure, infrastructure, community, um, accountability, and then continuity is what you're, I mean, that's kind of what you're talking about here. That continuity from yeah, all you know, the way the back from what Blackie yeah. did all the way through to your coaches. I mean, a lot of coaches, it seems like, use their stops as a stop to get to the next stop. Well, you were there 25 years, and it, you had an assistant there for that amount. A lot of assistants like, oh, I, I'm going to assist for like five, six years, then I want to move on. But, man, when you can get that magic of that continuity, that, that seems like – I I think of Gonzaga. I mean, Mark Few's been there for 30-plus years, started like as a ball boy practically, you know. And uh, that's how you get that ingrained. Yeah. You know, and, and again, the grass isn't always greener, obviously, with the success we had. We had opportunities to do different things, but, uh, you know, it, it, individually, you know, my family was happy. Um, I was happy. Um, you can't beat the community. Um, and now that I'm older, now now it's time to go explore a little bit mm. and, and to give back and, uh, you know, and to reflect. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, once we all get to that, point that uh you know that we're getting to now in our our you know mid 50s that uh priorities change uh you know i think we probably a little bit uh give a little bit more grace but a little bit more selective and in, in who you surround yourself with and uh when you got an opportunity to uh you know to share and give back which uh you know we've been allowed to do in this new endeavor that my brother and i are doing yeah um, it's funny it's stress-free and, uh, you know, being able to share that with these uh, these younger coaches on, uh, you know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, our defensive coordinator used to say, you know, you know, they're, they're not going to kill us and eat us. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you know, we're we're, we're not going to be that it. bad. It's not going to be, you know, <laughs> and the worst of it is they're not going to kill us and eat us. So uh, he would us. Say that, yeah. you know, he would say that we, he's actually the head football coach at uh, Abilene High now, but he was our defensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, and it's funny that, you know, weekly, you know, how are they? You know, how's the opponent we're playing? Well, they're not going to kill us and eat us. As long well, as you play Mike go. Tyson, right? <laughs> eat your children. All right. I got it. Thoughts on coaching by Scotty Sanchez. I got the first four chapters. So we'll, we'll work on that, Scotty. We'll get yeah, that, that out awesome. there. To, yeah, that sounds to great. Hey, um, you know, uh, I'm going to call it a, a time for this one. I appreciate the conversation. We'll have to do it again soon. Cause I know we didn't even touch on, I mean, you were in the pro ball doing scouting there. We'll kind of hit on that. Maybe next time we get together and chat, but um, I appreciate it. Just final thoughts. I mean, what would you say to, um, cause there's a lot of, I, I'm around a lot of athletes, right? They're playing right now. And a lot of them do want to go into coaching and they think about that. What, do you have any advice? What would you give to somebody out there who just loves the game, whatever it might be and thinks, you know, kind of like you, a lot of them, I was talking to Andy Stankowitz and his daughter, a great softball player. And then, you know, there comes a time where you can't play anymore and, oh, I got to go get a real job and make some money. And, and I'll finally have some money. And you do it for a couple of years. And she's like, I don't like, I don't want to be in the business world. So now she's back coaching and loving it. You know, like what advice would you give to some people like that who are kind of in that transition and maybe think, Hey, maybe I want to try coaching. Oh, you know what? Uh, you know, once you get into the uh, profession, I mean, uh, 
it, it's so special. It, it, it is a profession of giving. Um, but, you know, well, some of the advice, and I, and I remember this distinctly, there was a gentleman when I first got there, his name was John McCabe, and John was the track coach, and John was in his uh, 60s, and, and John was, you know, it, it, from his mouth every day, it's a great day to be an Eagle. You know, that, and that's who we were, you know, the Abilene Eagles. Yeah. And, and that's how he approached his job. And he took me aside within two weeks of my being there and us working with the varsity coaches. And he, he, uh, and there was a lot of us that were, it was our first year. And he said, you know, you, you asked the right questions. He said, you're very energetic. You're pretty dynamic. He said, I think you're going to have a good career. And he said, let me give you some advice. And he, he said, and uh, he said, find somebody that uh, you admire throughout the profession, even here. Um, and he said, and, and emulate them. And he said, and in your first few years, shut up, shut up and listen. <laughs> he said, then, you know, when you get to your 20, you know, your late twenties, your early thirties, then, then be ambitious, go get and go be what it is you want to be. And then, uh, you know, after you've done that, you know, when you get to be in your late forties, fifties, give back. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny that, uh, my career has kind of culminated, uh, uh, to meet the advice that uh, Coach McCabe uh, gave me, but you know, what a special individual! And uh, you know, in, in initially, I think the advice of uh, listen, you know, we might come out of college with all these ideas, but uh, there's a reason that uh, the Gary Gaineses and the Steve Warrens and those guys were successful, and of course, being at Abilene afforded us opportunities to spend time with college coaches and you know, whatever we could get from those guys to see. And and, and like you said, it all came back to uh, accountability and structure in all those programs. So uh, we just try to emulate it. You know, I didn't come up with any brand new baseball drills by any means. Uh, you know, all that stuff has been borrowed and uh, tweaked and, uh, you know, you make it fit you and your personality and the rest is, uh, uh, you know, is uh, God's grace. Well, thanks for the time, Scotty. Everybody listen, we'll have Scotty back on again. We'll talk a little pro ball and some of those other things too. But be if you're listening, be ready for an announcement about the book. I know it might take us a few months to get that going, but <laughs> we've got we've got go. ruminations on coaching, the profession of giving by Scotty. I don't know. I've 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 got notes, Scotty. So it's right there. We just gotta yeah. write it up. I'll I'll help you. Yeah. We gotta get that out there. We'll get it out there. Find a publisher. <laughs> We're good to go. Good stuff, man. Hey, thanks, Scotty. Appreciate the time, man. You bet, buddy. So good to see you. Hope you enjoyed the Pottercast. We'll catch you next time. Thanks a bunch for listening.